Well, good morning, everyone. As Dave mentioned this morning, and as, as Pastor Pete just mentioned, um, Dave is going to be starting a new sermon series next week on the, the, the broad topic of prayer. And this morning, in preparation for Dave's series, uh, I will be sharing a very narrow meditation on petitionary prayer. And I want to focus on a specific challenge that I experience in my own uh, daily prayer life, namely trying to reconcile God's sovereignty uh, when I petition the Lord with my daily needs. So that's the focus this morning. Uh, but before we begin, let's take a moment right now to, to come before the Lord uh, in prayer. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you have instructed us to bring our petitions to you freely and unfettered. And Lord, we want to do that in a way that honors you and that enables each one of us to experience the deeper joy and, and deeper peace that you have waiting for us when we bring our needs to you and look to you for help. So Lord, I would pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be aligned with your thoughts and your desire for our lives. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. Well, our opening scripture passage this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So I'd encourage you to take your, your Bibles out, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, and in the New International Version, uh, the, the Pew Rack Version, Verses 4 through 7 of chapter 4 read as follows. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a wonderful passage. We are instructed to, to be joyful, to rejoice, and to be gentle towards one another, not irritable and stressed, because God is near. He's, he's not distant and disinterested. Indeed, he wants to be engaged in our lives, and he wants us to petition him in everything. He wants to hear our requests. Furthermore, there's no need to be anxious about anything. We can bring our request to God from a, a place of genuine thanksgiving. And the promise is that we will experience a deep and profound peace, the, the peace of God in our hearts and our minds. I mean, that's, that's what I long for, the peace of God, this, this deeper peace in these troubled times in which we live. And it all sounds, you know, so easy and straightforward in, in the verse. The problem is, this passage doesn't always coincide with the reality of my life. Because there are times in life, stressful, sorrowful, painful times, when I find myself petitioning God because I'm in great need, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope, so to speak, and at those times I have to admit that I do not always find myself asking for God's help from a place of rejoicing and thanksgiving and free from anxiousness and enjoying a deep and profound peace. In fact, it can be quite the opposite. I may feel empty of joy and thanksgiving, irritable, impatient, 
full of anxiousness, and even dreading the future. Thus, it seems to me that this passage in Philippians chapter 4 sometimes conflicts with my own experience, you know, especially during times of, of stress and anguish. So how do I make sense of this passage? I, I want to be a Philippians chapter 4 kind of guy in my petitionary prayer life, in both the good times and the bad, but I don't always know how to get to that place. So what am I to do? Well, my first inclination is to make sure I understand the context that frames the passage that I'm looking at. So in this particular passage, in Philippians chapter 4, the context arguably occurs back in chapter 2, where Paul is instructing the believers in Philippi about how they're supposed to live out their life as, as Christians. And Paul makes the point that we are to imitate Christ to have the same attitude of humility and obedience that Christ had during his earthly ministry. So listen to what Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 have to say. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if this is the context for chapter 4 and the passage that we opened with, this then raises the question in my mind, what does it look like to imitate Christ specifically as it pertains to my petitionary prayer life? Or in other words, you know, what is the Christ-like way to come before my Heavenly Father in prayer when I ask for help, and especially in times of trouble? Well, to answer that question, we really need to look to Jesus to examine what Jesus had to say about petitionary prayer, you know, what he taught his disciples in this regard, and then also to examine what Jesus' prayer life actually looked like during his earthly ministry, and particularly when he was facing the most challenging, stressful, and sorrowful period of his entire life. So let's turn to a very familiar passage in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, to examine what Jesus had to say about petitionary prayer. And this, this is what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So verse 9 of chapter 6 in Matthew begins, This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And I'll stop there because we all know the rest of the Lord's Prayer. We just prayed it a moment ago. We pray it every Sunday morning, and rightfully so. Now, one of the things I find striking about the Lord's Prayer is the sequence that Jesus instructs us to follow. The prayer begins by acknowledging that God, God is hallowed or holy or completely, completely set apart from all else in ways that we can only partially understand. You know, for example, God is good, but he is good on a plane that is so far above us that he stands as the very definition of good. God alone is good, and, and this is hard to grasp. 
It's also hard to grasp that God is omnipotent or all-powerful, omniscient or all-knowing, omnipresent or present everywhere at the same time. These are things that are, are difficult and challenging to make sense of sometimes. Now, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that God is, is infinitely far above all else, and by extension, we all are simply his created beings, and as such, we don't own ourselves, we don't own anything in this world, we don't even own the time that we're given to walk this earth. Now, yes, it is true that this infinite God is also our Heavenly Father, and we are his adopted sons and daughters. We can know him intimately, we can call him Abba, Father, you know, and thanks be to God. What a wonderful gift. But let's not forget, Jesus seems to be reminding us that God is the creator and we are simply his created beings, made in his image. Nothing more and nothing less. The Lord's Prayer then essentially instructs us to affirm God's sovereignty, to agree that we desire his kingdom to come and his will to be done in this world broadly, but also in our lives personally. And this is where I sometimes begin to have questions. What, what exactly does it mean to affirm God's sovereignty? In the words of a, a classic textbook on systematic theology that I have in, in my library, my personal library back home, affirming God's sovereignty carries with it the idea that God's will is, quote, the final or the most ultimate reason for everything that happens. Let me say that again. God's will is the final or the most ultimate reason for everything that happens, not just the pleasant things that happen, everything. Now at this point I have to stop and ask myself, do I really understand what I am affirming when I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? For example, what if the unfolding of God's kingdom and his will for my life includes an extended season of significant pain and suffering for me? Am I really committed wholeheartedly when I affirm your kingdom come, your will be done, come what may? So I find it a bit sobering in a sublime sort of way that we are first confronted with God's set-apartness, his vastness, his holiness, and then called upon to affirm his sovereignty before we are instructed to petition God for our daily needs, for our daily bread. Jesus seems to be making the point that the affirmation of God's sovereignty is the context that we, we need to keep in mind when we enter into petitionary prayer. Now, when times are good, God's sovereignty, the fact that, he is, he, that his will is the ultimate reason for everything that happens may seem quite comforting. I mean, God is in control, all is well, life is good. You know, maybe even Philippians chapter four seems to be within reach. I mean, when, when times are good, I can feel pretty good about things. I, I can, even I can feel pretty joyful, my glass half empty personality archetype notwithstanding. And I, I can feel pretty thankful, genuinely thankful, and reasonably secure and at ease, and I'm not particularly anxious, so I can afford to be gentle and gracious and not terribly irritable towards those around me, all you folks. I hope that's true, at least sometime. And yeah, there are a few things uh, coming up, Lord, I can use your help with. Here's my list for today. Here's my daily bread. 
Uh, and oh, and by the way, Lord, you're, you're doing a great job. I really like what you're doing. So please carry on. I'm so glad that you're in control. Uh, oh, I gotta go now. Uh, I've got a busy day ahead. I look forward to chatting with you again, Lord, tomorrow. We'll catch up uh, tomorrow morning. Have a, have a great day. Now, if this all sounds a bit flippant, that's deliberate, because over the years, there have been times in my life, you know, good times. For example, when I've been on a professional, sort of a, a role in my professional life. When I became a bit flippant in my petitionary prayer life, not overtly in your face like I just portrayed, but in very subtle ways, so subtle they were often off my radar screen, and I didn't even realize it until a couple of decades later. We all have blind spots. And I have concluded that when times are good, I am vulnerable to drifting into a dangerous place spiritually because it becomes easy to assume that the status quo, the, the pleasant way of life that I am currently experiencing is normal and that life is always meant to be this way, you know, almost like an entitlement. And of course, it's easy to reason that a pleasant life must be what God wants for me because God is sovereign. He's my heavenly father. He's good, he's near, and he loves me and wants to give me good gifts, you know, and on and on. I love to rationalize things when, when it makes me happy. So the, the danger during the good times is that my petitionary prayer life can become cluttered with requests that essentially seek to maintain the status quo and, and keep things pleasant and under control. I love things to be under control. Rather than first asking for God's help to discern his will for my life and how he might be calling me to move in a different direction, maybe even in a direction that will take me way out of my comfort zone. When I became aware of this vulnerability, it was, it was you know, maybe a decade ago, I began to be very intentional about asking God to help me discern where he's leading me, what my next assignment might be, before I ask for my daily bread. And I found it very helpful to pray the Lord's Prayer every single day, sometimes more than once a day, oftentimes actually, using each line of the prayer as a springboard and an anchor to engage in a conversation with the Lord that honors him by first affirming his sovereignty and seeking his plan for my life and only then petition, petitioning for my daily needs. So my point of this is that, that even in the good times, petitionary prayer can become a stumbling block for me if it devolves into a subtle attempt to manipulate God into preserving the status quo, the good times, instead of seeking his will for my life so that I can be a good and faithful servant. However, I'm even more concerned about when the difficult times in life come and how to reconcile pain and suffering and anguish with God's sovereignty and Philippians chapter 4. Because when I am in great need and asking for God's help out of desperation, exhaustion, grief, whatever the situation may look like, there are times when my countenance during prayer tends to slide towards fear and anxiousness and impatience and irritability and joy and thankfulness tend to dissolve. And this is where God's sovereignty, which perhaps seemed comforting in the good times, now may seem a bit concerning. I mean, what if God's plan and purpose for my life 
is to not deliver me from this affliction any time in the foreseeable future. How can I be a Philippians chapter 4 kind of guy when God's sovereign will for my life is to allow affliction, pain, and suffering to continue with no immediate end in sight? Well, I don't always have a good answer to that question, frankly. Therefore, what I need is a clear example of what petitionary prayer should look like in times of trial so that I can imitate it, even when I'm not feeling particularly joyful and at peace. And that brings us back to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul instructs us to imitate Christ's humility and obedience in all aspects of our life, which includes our prayer life. So let's take a look at how Christ navigated his prayer life amidst a time that was arguably infinitely more stressful and more burdensome than anything that any of you and any of us, you and I, will ever experience. And I'm referring, of course, to the night on which he was betrayed. Scripture records that at least three times over a period, I'm guessing, of weeks, maybe longer, Jesus, as Jesus began his final journey to Jerusalem, he took his disciples aside and spoke to them about what was to come. He t told them about the suffering and his death that were going to happen. And clearly, this was already weighing heavily on Jesus' heart and mind. We don't get a full sense of how crushing the burden was until Gethsemane, but one can imagine this growing sense of dread that began to weigh upon Jesus. And when the night on which he bet was betrayed finally arrived, the toll that this had been taking on Jesus, I, I think, becomes crystal clear in Gethsemane. So let's take a look at that account. Uh, this isn't Easter, but this is a wonderful account when it comes to prayer. This is Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 38. Matthew records the following. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to, to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. Luke chapter 22, verse 44 adds, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. How many times have I been in that level of anguish? Um, not to that extent. And Jesus even seemed to wrestle with trying to reconcile the reality of his Father's sovereignty with his own fervent desire for deliverance from this overwhelming burden that he was facing. Matthew 26, verse 39, records the following. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 36, adds the following. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then in verse 42 of Matthew 26, we read the following. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
So Jesus, being fully God, but also being fully human, something that we can only barely grasp, seems to be wrestling to fathom, fathom his father's sovereignty and how he should pray for deliverance. You know, my father, if it is possible. Abba, father, everything is possible. My father, if it is not possible. You know, which is it? Well, they're all perfectly legitimate prayers. That's the mystery of God's sovereignty. And yet even as, as Jesus, as a human being, seemed not to have all the answers to the great mystery of his father's sovereignty at that point in his ministry, his response was always one of humility and obedience. Not what I will, but what you will. Now didn't Paul say in Philippians chapter 2, this is what we are to imitate, Jesus' humility and obedience. So this is the context for the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, the Last Supper, which Dave referenced just a few moments ago, and, and the teachings that, that, um, that Jesus gave during the Last Supper. I don't think there's any question that Jesus dreaded this evening. And yet during that meal, Jesus shared with his disciples some of the most sensitive, loving, nurturing, profound teaching and mentoring of his career. His pedagogy was gorgeous and gentle and joyful and poignant and winsome. You know, just think about his illustration of washing the disciples' feet as one example. It, it's gorgeous. Or the illustration that Jesus gave of him being the vine and the disciples the branches. Or his stunning revelation of hope about the coming of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Or as Dave mentioned, his profound, profound insight into the preeminence of love and unity. His delivery was brilliant, it's insightful, inspiring to this day. It still gives me goosebumps when I read, read this stuff, you know, as a teacher myself. How did he keep it together? Deep down inside, we know that Jesus was in turmoil. And yet as he unpacked this wonderful set of teachings, Jesus had this to say in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And he had this to say in John 15, verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus' countenance on that most dreadful evening was characterized by a, a deeper joy, a deeper peace that frankly defied human understanding. And that sounds a lot like what Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4. Well, Jesus concluded the Last Supper, as recorded in John chapter 17, with a time of petitionary prayer, as well as a time of intercessory prayer for his disciples and for all who would follow his disciples one day, which includes you and I. Jesus was praying on this night of all nights for, for me and for you. Allow me to call your attention specifically to verse 13 of John chapter 17, where, where Jesus prays to his Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they, Jesus' disciples, you and I, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I mean, full measure of my joy, Jesus, you are about to enter Gethsemane and beyond, how can you pray about 
sharing the full measure of your joy? How can you even have joy and peace to share? You know that you dread this evening. You dread tomorrow. You dread the cross. You know that, Jesus. So here's the take-home message from this brief meditation. If I am looking for a model of what petitionary prayer can and should look like when times get very tough, this is it. Jesus had a, a high view of his father's sovereignty, so high that he submitted in complete obedience to the will of his father, regardless of the dreadful circumstances that he was asked to bear. And Jesus kept his eyes on God's bigger plan. I mean, a plan so big that Jesus knew it would change everything forever. Consequently, on the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus was able to complete his mission and finish his ministry joyfully with an unexplainable peace, even as Gethsemane and the cross loomed ahead. Jesus rested in his Father's sovereignty and God's bigger plan, even as he seemed to wrestle with it and not fully understanding it, even Jesus. I need to rest in my Heavenly Father's sovereignty and God's bigger plan, even as I wrestle with it. And if I do that, the door will be open to the deeper joy and deeper peace modeled by Jesus and spoken of in Philippians chapter 4. So in closing, as an illustration, let me share with you a struggle that I currently face um, as, I, as I try and put this all into practice in, in my life at this season of life. While I was preparing this meditation, I was persistently uneasy with this whole topic of God's sovereignty and, and just wrestling with it. And I woke up one night around 2 a.m. and I suddenly realized, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and things come to my mind. And, and this night I suddenly realized that I have been struggling for some time now, it's been a couple years now actually, with, for lack of better vocabulary, I don't know how to describe it, but a, a deep sadness and almost dread about the process of aging and progressive enfeeblement and the inevitable loss of basic abilities to function, both physically and mentally, and the pain and suffering that go hand in hand with the season of life that we call dying, which is now beginning to unfold in my life. I am at the age where mortality is staring me in the face, and though I long for eternity, the path to get there is already weighing heavily on my heart and I can't deny it. And I'm keenly aware of what might lie ahead as the ravages of time accumulate. We're all on the same path, but this is the path where I am right now. And I wanna end the race well, resting in my Heavenly Father's sovereignty and God's bigger plan and experiencing the deeper joy and deeper peace that Jesus modeled for us. And it's in Philippians chapter four as a promise but I know that I will not be able to manufacture joy and peace, and I will not be able to simply will my way through this season of life in a joyful and peaceful countenance. I, I can't do it. So thanks be to God, we have a great role model to imitate, and we have a heavenly Father who is indeed sovereign. He's always near, he's always good, though in a way that is far bigger than any of us can understand. And his bigger plan is always the best plan.
come what may. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you told us that those who follow you will experience trouble in this world. You made that clear. But you also have invited all who are burdened and heavy laden to come to you, and you will give them rest. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Jesus, we pray that we would come to you in times of trouble and that we would be able to rest in the Father's sovereignty, his bigger plan, come what may, and that we would be able to experience that deeper peace that transcends all understanding. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.